Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine. For every member of the veterinary team, here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and our guest today is an author, speaker, researcher, um, and PhD, uh, Zach Mercurio. Welcome to Central Line. It's so great to have Thanks, you. Thanks, Katie. I'm excited to be here. You and I actually met through Josh Weissman, who a lot of our watchers and listeners will be acquainted with in some fashion. Josh is um, definitely uh, one of the most prolific speakers now in vet med, and I can tell um, from following you on social media and reading your book, um, that the two of you have probably have some really fun conversations on leadership. That'd be accurate to say. That's more than accurate to say. Uh, yeah, we have, <laughs> we have a great time. And I think that the more importantly is we both believe and have seen in the research how powerful a leader's actions can mm-hmm. be on another human being's well-being. Absolutely. And I feel so strongly about that, too. Um, So I'm really excited to get into this conversation. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Um, But first, would you mind just introducing yourself and letting us know a little bit about you and what, besides leadership, you're passionate about? Yeah, there's two parts of my life. One part of my life is I do research and I teach in a place called the Center for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado State University. There is such a thing. good name. Yeah. And we study what Mm -hmm. makes life and work meaningful and what kind of constitutes human flourishing. And um, the rest of my time is I'm out in organizations with leaders helping to turn really these common sense ideas of being a good human (laughs) into common repeatable practices and habits. My whole job right now is to turn what's been known as soft skills into hard repeatable skills that everybody must learn if you're going to be responsible for where a human being spends a third of their life. Uh, and then in my personal life, I, I'm really into reading. Reading is my escape. Um, and I love reading books, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that helps me better understand the human condition. I like to do road biking, and I have two little boys, ages eight and six, and a very quirky dog named Lily. Excellent. I mean, what is a podcast guest on this podcast without a quirky dog? <laughs> right. And my brother is we, we a veterinarian. He's a veterinary surgeon Excellent. as well. So I've sort of been like along with his journey through his yeah. experiences. And he's part of a big practice in Virginia. And, you know, I get to hear what he's going through. So I'm connected to the field. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And um, and I-, I love that there's even such a thing as the Center for Meaning and Purpose. Um, I did not know that. And I, I want to know more about that for sure. I'm like, I, would- I need to go visit this place. To me, in my head, suddenly became like a monastery mm. where everyone is like walking around in like these beautiful gardens talking about the meaning and purpose of life. And it's probably not quite like that. But I mean, Fort Collins is nice. I'll let you hold like- on to that image. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and, and so road biking, um, is that, is that what you would consider your third space where you can kind of just be Zach and you don't have to be an expert in anything? Just kind of. Oh, totally. My third space. Yeah. What's so awesome about road biking and any endurance sport or anything that simplifies your mind to only be Mm -hmm. able to focus on exactly what you're trying to do 
is really powerful. I mean, research shows that, that that's really powerful, but I experience it too. I mean, and it helps me to, to realize that what's purposeful isn't always pleasurable, which is an important truth mm. in life. That, you know, you're doing something yeah. for your body and it's not pleasurable, but it is purposeful. I mean, I can be here to play with my kids and feel more fit, right? And that it aligns with a lot of what we do around helping people to understand the difference between purpose and pleasure. Yeah, that's true. Like the saying that like work should be fun. I mean, there should be fun at work, but work isn't always going to be fun. But if you ha- if you know why you're doing it, Makes I guess we can like just start because one of the biggest yeah, problems with it. how we've thought about work, well, I think over the past decade of the self-care, self-love movement has been that we think everything should be pleasurable for us. Yeah. Um, and if we expect everything to be pleasurable and we, we go searching for pleasure only, A, that's fleeting. So those moments come and go. So it's not really a good viable plan for fulfillment. But the second thing is that um, we miss out on purpose. Moments of purpose, because contributing is often inconvenient. Um, You know, purpose is often not always pleasurable, but we can learn ways to see the purpose in what we're doing. And and that's why Josh and I get along so well, because leaders can learn ways to reveal people's purpose and make it easier for them Mm. to see it and clear the way between they and what they're doing and and the bigger impact, which is, I think, so important for long-term fulfillment and well-being. What about, so say a person is doing work that doesn't necessarily align directly with a purpose they thought they had, but they're working for somebody very inspiring. Like can Mm, the right leader mm -hmm. also help give you purpose? Well, there's difference between your purpose and the purpose. Mm. You may have a purpose in your life that uh, is completely unrelated to work, which is good, I would say. Yeah, it's Um, probably good. Yeah. But then there's the purpose in whatever it is that you're doing. I focus more on helping people see the purpose in what they're doing. Mm. There's also the difference between the meaning of work and the meaning in work. So I think this is important for listeners to understand. The meaning of work is what work means in someone's life. Like it could mean like getting a paycheck or I'm doing it because I like it. But that's different than the meaning in work. The meaning in work is what people experience when they're there. And that has a huge impact on retention, well-being, performance, motivation, much more so than why someone works. Mm-hmm. What they experience when they're there, the meaning in work, is something that has much more of an effect on experiencing meaningful work or experiencing purpose in work or well-being. And what's really powerful about this is that's the space that leaders have architecture over. Yeah, that's really that's a fascinating distinction I haven't really heard before and it, you know, in veterinary medicine, it seems very clear what the purpose, what the meaning of the work is, right? Is that like, we all got into this to come to, you know, come to a place where we could have the tools and the skills to help animals and, and their families. And it seems when you talk to people outside the profession, they're like, oh, that must be so fulfilling, because you get to go to work and you get to fulfill that meaning of, of the work every single day. And that's true. Like we get to come to work and we get to do what we train to do every single day. And at the same time, so many of us are unhappy. And that it sounds like from what you're talking about, it's because they're not finding the meaning in the work every day. This is absolutely critical to understand. 
and you've articulated it really well. You can have a job that matters, but not experience mattering in your job. Mm. Ah, I work, I work with trauma surgeons who have a job that matters. I mean, they literally save people's lives every day. I mean, that's what they do when they clock in. Yeah. Yet many of them are burnt out. They want to leave the profession because they don't feel like they matter to the people around them in their job. Mm. And for someone who doesn't believe that they matter, it's almost impossible for anything to matter. And so it's a big difference. You can't rely, especially on a profession like veterinary medicine, you can't rely on a big purpose, you know, rest on the laurels of just people want to help animals or, or you have to make sure people experience mattering in the job so that they can focus and believe in that bigger purpose. Because again, nothing matters to someone who doesn't believe that they matter. Right. I'm asking, I'm thinking of all these questions that I didn't even, like I wrote down questions and sent them to you and none of these are on that list. Isn't there's something that is a little switch that's being flipped in my head now thinking, listening to you talk, because I've talked to a lot of people um, pretty recently um, in various organizations and in various levels of, you know, managerial seniority in those organizations who say, well, you know, I... I would love to be a better leader, but I just don't have time. Or I, you know, I only can dedicate 30% of my time to managing my team and the rest of the time I have to do my own work. And this always like grates on me because I feel like um, in my role as a manager, what I really would love to do is spend as much time as possible managing. And I I hate that word too, but Mm. like being as good a leader as I can be and not have to do so much actual work because to me, the work is the support first. And I, people look at me like I'm very naive when I say that. And part of it is because I work in nonprofit and I feel like maybe that's, that is a little naive in a nonprofit, but, but would you say that a leader's primary job, even if they're running a company, that their primary job is to make sure that their team feels that mattering. Yeah. And this is where leaders get very confused because a leader's job is to take care of the people doing the job. This is why I love your social media. I like, you know, like everything. it really is. <laughs> That's a leader's job is, is to do that. And, and it has to be because mm-hmm. there is no work without human well-being. <laughs> you know, a lot of times we right. think, oh, it's an, like an after, it's an afterthought, but a lot of leaders obsess over the lagging indicators, whether it's like service efficiency or client satisfaction in, in a veterinary hospital. And they try to pursue those lagging indicators. Like how do we get the patients in and out faster? Or how do we get these indicators up, these numbers up? How do we improve our margin? Now, like your practice leaders, all of those things. Yeah. Those are effects. People are always the cause. Yeah. Um, and if if you don't invest in the leading indicator of something – you can't expect the lagging indicator to be stable. Turnover is going to go up and down. Margin is going to go up and down. Satisfaction is going to go up and down. You'll have good times, bad times. It's a roller coaster way of managing an organization where if you focus on the people first and you trust that the lagging indicators will follow and you take the long view, you create a stable, sustainable path of long-term performance. This is related to one of the things I was going to ask you about, which is a, a recent post that I saw on your social media. I, I am like 
seriously like the Zach Mercurio like top fan because I'm constantly like that's exactly it. I think that's exactly what I want to say. And part of it is having spent so much time with Josh. Yeah, which I'm right, very right, fortunate right. to have done. So like I've completely absorbed the like positive leadership, you know, purpose and path, psychological safety. Like I have absorbed it into my bones. And um, but you had one recently that talked about the difference between recognition and appreciation and affirmation. Mm. And that's another thing that I had never seen put quite that way because we use those words kind of interchangeably. It's kind of like you know. We empower our team. We, what does that mean exactly? Um, can you talk about the difference between those three things, what that means to you? Yeah, appreciation is uh, – well, let's start with recognition because a lot of us have employee recognition programs, right? Mm-hmm. Recognition is showing gratitude for what someone does. Appreciation is showing gratitude for who someone is. So that they that they showed up that they showing gratitude that they are doing what they're doing that they have these skills that they have this personality but affirmation is showing people the specific evidence of their significance so for example recognizing someone maybe elevating their achievements or their work so other people can see them appreciation may be giving somebody um you know giving somebody maybe a like a, a, a day off because, you know, you see them, they've been struggling uh, and you, you can see that they're struggling and you're grateful for them. But affirmation is saying, hey, I noticed that the, you have these unique gifts and they make this unique impact and mm-hmm. doing that regularly. It's easy to say you appreciate somebody. It's easy to tell someone to recognize somebody. You have to get up close to affirm somebody. You have to be a noticer to affirm somebody. And uh, affirm comes from the Latin root, uh, which means to firm up or to make stronger. And I love that because when you affirm somebody, you're strengthening their self-belief that they matter because you're giving them evidence that they matter. And what's in our environment, the evidence in our environment determines what we believe. And so that's the difference. And I want to go back, if you don't mind, Katie, to what you said about Mm -hmm. someone who says, I don't have time to do this. There are two things I want to highlight here. One is that at the organizational systemic level, it is true that many organizations take people's attention away from people. Uh, Some organizational environments don't even make it possible for people to care. For example, if you have such an obsession with efficiency metrics when it comes to clients and you're trying to get people from one room to the next and one patient to the next, then, and that's what someone's rewarded on or incentivized on, then the environment is not making it possible for that person to care. So there are environmental design components that either make it possible or make it impossible for someone to care. So that's one level. But on the individual level, great leadership is really about optimizing interactions. All of what we know about what actually creates uh, experiences of mattering or experiences of feeling heard or experiences of feeling valued or motivation actually happen in daily interactions. So there are ways we can optimize the daily interactions we already have without adding more time to our plate to make sure people feel valued and know how they add value. I just wanted to go back to that because I think it was such a great point. Yeah, I love that too is is like rather than saying, okay, I have to schedule more meetings or more calls with my team, like how can you best 
maximize the and optimize the time that you already have. Right. And that ties into your last question because some people say like, well, affirmation, well, that, that'll take a lot of time. It's much easier to do an awards banquet at the end of the quarter, right? Uh, affirmation yeah. takes time. But what you can do is anytime you say thank you to someone, instead of just saying thank you, show them exactly the difference that they made, tell them the story of the difference that mm-hmm. they made and name their strengths. That's one thing, yeah. right? Like give a better thank you. Or uh, if you're asking somebody in a one-on-one, you're passing them in the hall and you're saying, hey, how are you doing? Instead of asking, how are you doing? Ask, hey, what is your attention right now? What have you been struggling with the most? Uh, what uh, what am I not doing today to support you? What can I start doing? Those little questions, that. right? Can you get data that you can use as a leader to actually notice people? But if we just ask, hey, how are you? Or start a meeting with, or a huddle with, how's everybody doing good? Everyone's like, nobody's going to be like, not me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Actually, I haven't felt any support from you in two weeks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> They're just going to quietly. Right. I just wanted to check in on how everybody's doing. Nobody's going to say, yeah, me, not so good. Glad you're checking in. You know, right? <laughs> it's the everyday yeah. noticing people, affirming them, showing them how they're needed through interactions that create great leadership. So let's say, um, you know, I'm thinking about a vet practice model and we have uh, a practice manager or medical director, for instance, or a practice owner um, who says, okay, I want to make sure that I'm doing this to affirm my team. And, but at the same time, I still have KPIs that are, you know, put in front of me that I have to do. Like, how can a leader, this is a million dollar question, right? How can a leader in a sort of a micro environment that answers to a macro system of KPIs, how can they change sort of the culture and KPIs that they're looking at in their clinic to develop a new system of reward and affirmation? Yeah. I mean, there's a great, there's a great quote by Simon Sinek and he says, be the leader you wish you had, right? Mm, Like we can all, all the time, we can all, that's all often fall to the level of the system that we're beholden to unintentionally. Like we just sink, sink to it. Yeah. But I would say, you know, have the KPIs in mind, but know that your way of getting to the KPIs can be different. Mm. Love that. Uh, and that's where really knowing and believing that the leading indicators of every KPI are human beings and and trying that and seeing what happens to the KPIs. I would also argue to that practice that employee well-being should be the KPI. Yeah. And that's the problem, right? Employee yeah. well-being has to be the KPI. Uh, and the top one, because nothing else happens, satisfaction, margin, whatever happens without that. And, you know, because you become what you pursue. When you live by mm-hmm. results, you die by results. Yeah. And so um, that's what I would like to see. But if you don't have control over what those KPIs are, you do have control over how you meet them. Would you say that the workplaces that you've seen, you've seen probably quite a few different um, models and teams in various stages of this sort of recognition, appreciation, affirmation continuum. Mm -hmm. Where would you say that most people fall? Yeah, most people have the motivation to want to do it. But they don't have the skills to do it and the environment doesn't enable them to do it. Because any human behavior requires three things. We have to want to do it, motivation. We have to know how to do it, ability, and our environment has to remind us to do it. 
Mm. I see a lot of like training initiatives. They just focus on cultivating motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which can't last Can't forever. last, right? So um, <laughs> one of the things that is important is to really identify the hard skills that are needed to do this and to really start evaluating leaders on those skills. For example, mm. showing purposeful affirmation through like how you show gratitude and say thank you is a skill. I mean, it's a skill that can be learned and should be evaluated like any other skill. But then you have to look at, okay, now does our environment that this leader's in make it possible for them to do what we're asking them to do? And which parts of our environment or the system or structure do we need to adjust to make it possible for them to do this? For example, if I, if I have a dentist appointment coming up and I want to floss my teeth, I have the motivation, I watched a video on how to do it, but then I don't have any floss. How frustrating is that? That's the situation a lot of leaders are in. They want to care. Mm-hmm. The environment doesn't enable them to care. So I think when those things are present, you can start gaining traction. But most organizations I find are motivated to do this. They, they kind of have the skills and abilities to do this. Some don't. They haven't invested in that. But a lot of them just don't have an environment that triggers people to do it and enables them to do it. But that's a good framework. If you're going to go off and have a discussion after this podcast, that is a gr- helpful framework from which you can actually really dig into this stuff. Like, why is this not happening? through motivation, Mm -hmm. ability, and environment. And that's something, it sounds like something the whole team can kind of be part of is saying like, how can we create this culture together versus, yeah. um, So I actually, so I have your book. Oh, cool. So um, (laughs) um, I'll put a link to Zach's book in the uh, show notes called the invisible leader. And um, it's great. And it's a, it's a good read in terms of like, you can take, chunks manageable chunks from it you don't have to like sit down you know in a quiet environment and like read through enormous sections at one time it's very digestible and there was something that i highlighted that um you had said uh invisible leadership asserts that the best leaders aren't people at all yeah it it removes people positions and power from the mix and rests on the importance of cultivating a compelling common purpose as the most powerful leader and that sounds like a group effort that is a group effort to create yeah and it's not and leaders so leaders themselves are conduits of that bigger contribution right once they let the contribution take over and i'll give you an example in this discussion like say you have someone who has these kpis right and they're they're all like metric focused um, being able to ask yourself, what would, if our purpose was our boss, what would it say about our KPIs? Mm. Ah, I you love know, that. Like if, if our, our if yeah. purpose, if the contribution we want to make that mission statement that you had someone come in and help your brand, if that was the boss, the true boss of your decision-making, what would you do? What would you do differently? I would argue that many people would probably operate differently. Yeah. Uh, And and I think that that's what I mean when I saw the invisible leader. It's that common purpose has to be above all else. Everything Mm -hmm. that we do in terms of well-being, creating, mattering, making sure people can connect to that purpose is in service of that. And it harmonizes energy. Sometimes I find that people argue a lot about what they're doing or how they're doing it, but it's, it's really that they've lost the shared belief on why it matters. Okay. So I'm going to segue from that. Um, I, I love that. And I'm, I, there's a little bit of like, you know, sort of magic realism in my head there too, of like the purpose is like sort of this, the, you know, this 
being that is mm-hmm. see, looking mm-hmm. over everything that you're doing. And I, I just, really <laughs> I like, like that, that too, but, now that I'm thinking about it. They can join our right? center for it's meeting like, at Purpose Monastery. The, That's who walks around. The right? Yeah. Yes, we're all worshiping at the feet of the purpose. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there was something else. I think when I reached out to you about doing a podcast, it was because um, you had posted something that really resonated with me on a personal level, um, which will surprise no one who's actually worked with me. And it was, you said, uh, difficult employees are the most common creation of deficient cultures. <laughs> and I was like, Mm-hmm. that's the thing, right? Because I have been difficult mm. multiple places that I've worked. And admittedly, I don't always know how to put things. You know, I'm trying as I get older and more experienced at life and work to see what lands well with people. But also, I do think that there's a certain um, way that we are trained to see people who speak up when they feel like the situation isn't going in the direction of that purpose. Um, because there's usually a reason. It's not like everybody wanted to go in that direction and they just like saw something shiny and wandered off. It's like somebody might be seeing the purpose differently and they're going to take that hand raised as an objection to what they're doing mm. versus saying like, hey, is this really what's best for the team? Or I feel like the team isn't understanding where we're headed and why. And I, I have definitely been difficult there. And I don't know if I was right or not, but can we talk about that word difficult? And yeah. like, like, first of all, I want to know, have you been the difficult one? Of course. <laughs> of course I have. We've all been in environments <laughs> I mean, that where we feel like we don't matter. And um, the result of feeling like you don't matter are two things. It either results in acts of withdrawal or acts of desperation. And most difficult employees are acting out in desperation. They're grasping for the significance they don't get. It's, it's basic childhood psychology. We know that conduct issues in schools, for example, are the results of students not getting the attention they need at home. That, that continues on through adulthood. We don't like to, we don't like to talk about this because we think it's work. You should be hardened. You should mm-hmm. know, know to go along with everything. Right. But we're human beings. And when a human being feels like the instinct, and it's a survival instinct to matter. We searched for mattering when we were little babies. We reached out and grasped for someone to care for us for our survival. We grasped to matter to someone else before we searched for food. It's an instinct. When that instinct is not met, we scratch and claw for it. And that's, that's what happens. And, and, and you are not a difficult person. And this is the other thing about the word difficult. You are a person who is beha- who is exhibiting behaviors perceived as difficult. That's why I can't stand when people say to me, leaders say, oh, what do I do with like difficult employees or my disengaged employees? These are not disengaged employees. These are employees who are behaving in ways you're perceiving as disengaged. And when we start thinking about the behavior, well, no rational person can say, oh, well, behaviors are independent from the environment. Right, a human's behaviors, right. right? So then we start saying, okay, how is the environment that I'm creating complicit in manifesting the behaviors I say I don't want? Mm. Basically, how right. how am I and the culture I'm contributing to yeah. contributing to this? And problem. it's like the basic like biological ecological principle of toxicity. If you put a healthy organism into a toxic environment, it will eventually become a toxic organism. 
are there like because sometimes I wonder if the difficult people are sort of the canary in the coal mine, um, you know, to use kind of a gross analogy where like, you know, the person, the people who are sort of either checking out first or who are raising their hands first and maybe like making something, making yeah. meetings uncomfortable. This is a superpower of mine is making meetings super uncomfortable. Like I'm really good at that. And I feel sometimes like then it's just a matter of time before other team members start to feel that way too, if they're not already or start to display behaviors of that attitude. But it's often the people who get there first that are branded as toxic. Right. Yeah. Um, because they're, yeah. they might be the only one that leadership can see. Right. And toxic, toxic in that case is, is misapplied, right? It's, it's again, that's a toxic right. person. Instead of they're exhibiting these behaviors, what could potentially be manifesting these behaviors? Potentially there's an idea that's not being heard. Potentially there's yes. something that everybody's thinking, but no one's saying. One of my favorite things I did with a client is I had this meeting where I had each person write down, they were having a lot of conflict and I had each person write down what everybody was thinking, but nobody was saying. So I had them independently write it down. <laughs> oh, I okay? love that. <laughs> and then I had them yeah. post it on the wall and I had everybody go and, and read it and then independently. And then they sat down and all of a sudden what happened is that the space opened up, right? But leaders have to be willing to create that space. And when that space is not there, then, then the one person has to take it all on themselves, to speak up like about what everybody's thinking and no one's saying. And then that person becomes wrong. And then other people see the reaction to that person. And then they're like, forget it. I'm not going to speak up. And then they go sink back into acts of withdrawal. And then if they can't speak up, they speak out to each other and they start gossiping. And then the managers start complaining that everybody's gossiping and not giving us direct feedback. And then they hire consultants like us. But when realize, when in reality, <laughs> or, or not. not, but when in reality, if you can just open up that space, right, to, to really create the space where it's safe for people to share what they're afraid to share, mm-hmm. um, to, for people to talk about and come to an agreement on what we're all thinking but not saying, and to really dig into those things openly, the difficult person, will, it'll be a norm to have these difficult conversations. And I, I would argue people will feel better. Leaders would feel better about that in the long term. But again, go back to the motivation, ability, and uh, environment thing. The reason why a lot of leaders don't create these spaces is because they don't know how. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And they take yeah. things personally. Yeah. And so much of what people like you and Josh and um, the other, you know, amazing people that are starting to bring these ideas to veterinary medicine. Um, I would, it seems like their entire goal, like your entire goal is to, is to give people the tools they need to create that environment if they don't know how to do it for themselves. And um, I wish that we saw this right now as a hard skill. Um, My cat is probably making like super loud. This sounds like actually like one of those headspace meditations while you're going to sleep. You can do like a cat (laughs) one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's um I mean it's one of the most soothing noises very in the soothing, world. So, so we got we got John here who's like I'm the fine biggest snuggler. John anyway. John knows what's up. Yeah. Um but I I apologize for anyone who doesn't like the purring noise. Like I know not everybody loved the chihuahua snoring and so I'm sure there's somebody that wishes the ch- the cat wasn't purring in the microphone, but it's too bad cuz I can't get it <laughs> off. It's too cute. Um 
But I I wonder, like, if there's ever going to be a time where our industry and other industries who focus so much on skills like how to save a person's life as a trauma surgeon, very important. That is a very important skill. Like, I wouldn't want a trauma surgeon who does not know those skills. But also, um, that's useless if your team is walking out the door every day feeling like they don't matter because yeah. they're, they're going to turn over and you're constantly going to be dealing with burned out staff. So... Do you think that's possible? Like, I, I do. I think it's. I think it's possible, that? and I think it's going to be imperative, and I think it's going to be inescapable at some point. It's going to mm-hmm. be like in ten years, if you're not doing it, it's, it's going to be like having a being a practice without a website. Be, I, I, I right. do think I'm going to be right because the U.S. Surgeon General, America's top medical doctor, weighed in for the first time on what needs to happen in the workplaces in October 2022. This is the first time America's top medical doctor, a physician, weighed in on what needed to happen, and on the at the core of this, to improve the nation's mental health, he said that people need to experience mattering at work, dignity mm-hmm. and meaning. Dignity being worthy, apart from what you do or don't do for someone else, mm-hmm. and meaning experiencing what you're doing as positive, purposeful, and significant. I wouldn't be surprised actually in 10, 15 years if there's not an OSHA, like there's an OSHA for physical mm-hmm. safety, if there's not going to be an mm-hmm. OSHA for psychological safety. And emotional safety in the workplace. So I think one, it's going to be inescapable at some point. Yeah. Two, the choices of where, when, and how people work and earn a living are going to exponentially increase. Again, mm. and this is where a, a a a institution like veterinary medicine relying on the big purpose is not going to be a sustainable practice because people more than ever now can earn income in many different ways that are much less stressful. Uh, Worldwide literacy rates are going up, educational attainments going up. All of that screams to me more choice of where, when, and how people can do it, do the work. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there's gig work for veterinary medicine, like that that people can do where, when, and how they want to do it. The the, the possibilities even for relief vets right right. now are incredible relief vets and techs could literally go right. anywhere. And anywhere so choices of where, when, and how people work mm-hmm. are going to increase exponentially. So if mm-hmm. you do not create places where people feel like they matter and like they want to work as a priority, you will inevitably be left with chronic staffing shortages and uh, chronic people issues, which as we talked about result in all of the lagging issues, customer satisfaction, client retention, all of the things that we say we care about. I, I really don't think it's an, uh, there's an option anymore. This AHA podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit understands that all veterinary teams are busier than ever. To help patients get the care they need, the Care Credit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere on their own smart device. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on that smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs, whether it be a general, referring, or specialty hospital as long as they accept the care credit credit card. And I mean, I know personally, for me, that's the most important thing. Um, I, you know, a pay cut would happily suit me if I could feel like I matter every day. Um, and I know a lot of people are starting to realize that too, yeah. when they um, are going from clinic to clinic and just aren't feeling like they found their place. Um, a lot of 
people will come and say, like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to compete with corporate practices because they can offer so much better benefits or, you know, more money. But and it's not to say that corporate practices can't create cultures like this in their in their individual hospitals and in as as a general rule. And I think they should like they have the resources to to dedicate to making sure they can do that in the best way. But a private practice who offers this culture of mattering and purpose um, has a huge leg up on most of the practices out there because that's a very rare thing. Yeah. And a study of over um, 34 million people on why they left their jobs during the pandemic, um, uh, toxic corporate culture was 10 times more mm -hmm. likely to predict someone leaving, making the decision to leave than was payer benefits. Yeah. Um, we've yeah. known that for years, right? Pay compensation. Yeah. This is important. There's a difference between compensation and valuing somebody. Compensation yes. is compensating someone for their time and skill. That has to be at an appropriate livable level, right? So that's yes. another podcast. But it's it's compensation. Money is an inanimate object. So it cannot value Katie. It cannot value right. somebody. It can't appreciate someone. It can't recognize someone. It can't affirm somebody. It can be a symbol of those things. But only people appreciate people. Only people affirm people. Only people value people. So a lot of times you know, we rely on money, like to pay a physician really well. But even in those spaces, people who are getting paid well, they're, le they're leaving. Look at what's happening in education with our teacher shortage. Look at what's happening in healthcare with physician mm -hmm. shortages. Um, obviously something needs to be done. Yeah. Okay. So that leads into the last thing I was going to ask you about, which is um, the phrase, you are not your job. I think you had said something um, in a post not too long ago where you talked about why that isn't always helpful to say to somebody. Um, because I, I see a lot of advice, you know, that says, you know what, if you're not happy at work, like, if you can just put your head down, do your job as best you can, you know, don't worry about what isn't yours to worry about, go home and try to live a full and active life outside of work. And I am fundamentally incapable of doing that. Yeah, as, as, as is every now. normal human being. Right. And I say normal, so, psychologically, like stable so, human being. Yeah. I mean, if you do that, you're fundamentally, it, it seems like you'd have to be really disengaged from what you're doing because caring about growth and improvement and the culture around you and your teammates is such a huge part of work life. And you spend so much time there like, how is it possible for that not to become part of who you are? So what would you, what do you think it's, is a better thing to say to people who are feeling kind of um, like, oh, there's all these things going on. I can't control, um, but I can't leave. What do I do? Yeah. So there, there's no separation between work and life. It, it's something that was made up in the industrial revolution to get us to accept mm -hmm. less from our workplace and make it easier for people to dehumanize <laughs> us in our workplaces. It's just work. Yeah. It's just a paycheck. It's just a job. When we say those things up to ourselves, we're delu deluding ourselves into actually accepting less from where we are because we're compartmentalizing it. And it's much easier for a leader to be like, oh, they're just here for a paycheck. It's just a job for Katie. It makes it easier to dehumanize Katie in the job. That's an old tactic that's left over from the industrial revolution to separate mm -hmm. work and life. Life occurs wherever a human being is living and breathing right? That includes in work. So life occurs at work and work is a part of life. And we have to believe that. And once we can believe that we can expect the more, which I think is important. 
Expect more yeah. for yourself and how you're treated in work. And at the same time, if we start expecting that, leaders have to expect more of themselves and what they create in work. But for an individual, I would also say this. You're, you, are not your, you are not your job. Like your job is not your identity of who you are. But your job is an inevitable way you express who you are. Mm. And you have values. You have unique strengths. Um, you have principles and beliefs. And no one can take those things away from you. So if you think about going into work and thinking about the everyday interactions that you have that aren't controlled by a leader or a culture that may be abusive, and you can focus on delivering your values and living by your values and delivering, delivering your strengths and living by your beliefs in those interactions that you have control over, that can make a profound difference. Um, so the you are not your job thing is like, oh, yeah. And then you go in and you just sort of suffer through one third of your life to enjoy the rest of your life, right? That's not really a great tactic either because uh, right. that's not going to promote <laughs> well-being. But if you can say, hey, in these interactions, what I have control over, I will commit to living by these values, commit to using my strengths, commit to trying to see the purpose in what I'm doing and to be the leader I wish I had. Um, at the end of the day, that's going to be a more fulfilling way to go forward. And you'll learn a lot about, you'll learn the skill of how even a, in a difficult circumstances, you can see the meaning in it. And if you can see the meaning where you are, you'll be able to see it wherever you go. That brings a whole new, um, perspective to, to all of this, because, you know, at a certain point, I guess we are what we do, what we repeatedly do. And so if you're a leader and you keep making choices that maybe if they don't actively harm your team, don't lead to creating the environment where right. they're going to feel supported and like they matter. And you just, those decisions keep happening and those missed opportunities keep coming by. Um, at some point, that's just the kind of leader you are. Yeah, that's the right. kind of person you are. And even if that's not your intent at all. And, um, that's something that I think a lot of people, I don't know, they, they get stuck on like, well, I, I don't know how to manage people or I don't know how to lead people. And I got this title or I got this raise and I'm in this position now and I don't know what I'm doing, but like, that's a North star for them mm. is if nothing else you can think are the decisions I'm making and the priorities that I'm putting into place, are those going to take me closer to the goal of the environment that I want to help create or... Yeah, away. I think you raise a great point. Instead of being a passive recipient of culture, be an mm -hmm. active constructor of it, of yeah, creating the culture that. you say you want. And yeah. I think that that is a really important way to take control over your work. Because at the end of the day, if nothing else, you can say, you know, I did my best. Mm -hmm. And sometimes yeah. that's all we have. Yeah. I feel like this is a therapy session for me. Thanks, Zach. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, you, you brought like, out the point, so it's... <laughs> well, and I think it's everybody listening has been in an environment yes, where they have not felt I, like I, they matter. I, I, I mean, have I see these, Yeah. Not everybody listening has been in an environment where they do feel like I they know. mattered. And that's really sad. Um, yeah. Have you... Did you have a job where you felt affirmed, not just... 
appreciate it. There are some people, you know, right now I get to talk to large groups of people. And, you know, yeah. it's that person who remembers that you were there and takes a picture of the end slide with your email address and takes the yeah. time to send you a message and let you know, like, that they used a skill you provided them and it made this difference. Those are few and far between. Maybe, like, mm -hmm. one every like, couple of months, even though we do tons of engagements. Um, but it's yeah. those people that give me a lot of hope um, because that's that's the practice, right? They don't know that they're doing it, but they're affirming me. So in my current job right now, that's where I get it. Um, in some other aspects of my work at a large research institution, I have to rely on the fact that I'm doing the best I can where I am mm. um, because there's a, there's essentially no <laughs> right. validation. <laughs> Yeah. No yeah, one's that, coming. That, that you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like doing a podcast. It's like, well, uh, no, no one's, one's sent coming. Me no email, one's rushing to me to so... tell me how great my work is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think you're doing great work. Thank I you. can't see what you're doing at the university, but I, <laughs> yeah. this is so important. And honestly, like I keep going back to your social media because like between you and Simon Sinek and Josh and Flourish, like I, that's my social media feed a lot of days. It's like the things that I'm stopping on are are those because I I need to hear those things and because they resonate so deeply with me as a new leader and somebody who wants to do a lot more leading of teams. Like I that's my favorite part of the job. And um I told Josh the other day that like my goal as a manager is always to try to make decisions that would make Josh proud of me. Oh, I love that. Making them. <laughs> you know, I think we need far fewer thought leaders and many more practice <laughs> leaders. Like it's yeah, embarrassing yeah. that I have a job actually, because the things <laughs> that I say or that I think about to me, it's just like, I mean, I was in my kindergartners, um, like open house. Like I got to go into the classroom and look around. I was looking at these values on the wall, like, respect and it had a behavior of like listening to others it had like uh, include inclusion it had um uh, uh appreciation all of these things mm -hmm. and i'm like what happens from kindergarten until when people have to lead people like i feel like all i'm doing in my job is teaching <laughs> kindergarten to adults that's really, really, it really um, is. Like if you go in this kindergarten classroom. It's kind of staggering image. <laughs> you will look at these values on the wall. You'll look at how they're learning to recognize each other, listen to each other, share, share their voice. Um, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, literally, that's what I do in my job for adults. <laughs> I mean, it's a great, it's a, it's a great gig and I hope one day you're out of it. I do. I hope no one day I'm just, just maintaining it, you know, not trying to instigate yeah. it. And people are yeah. like, oh, Zach, all you talk about is mattering and purpose. I will keep saying it until you start doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I hope, I hope that's true. I mean, I know that's true. I see all of you. Like, like, yeah. Like I'll keep saying doing... it until you start doing it. Yeah. So when the data starts yeah. changing and 65% of people don't feel undervalued in work and almost 70% of people don't feel forgotten in work. And when 10 times more, when, when, and toxic corporate cultures is not predicting people to leave 10 times more than pay, then I'll stop talking about it. I love that. <laughs> I, that's a mic drop. Um, so let's, it's a goal for everybody listening or watching to go out and make it 
a, just a little fraction of a percent closer to Zach being out of a job. Yes, that's great. <laughs> Let's that's all work together to put Zach out of a job. <laughs> all right. Well, Zach Mercurio, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people find you, find out more about you and what you do? I have a website. So you can go to my website, ZachMercurio.com. Uh, and then connect with me on LinkedIn. I like LinkedIn. Uh, it's been great for me. I know other people have different mm -hmm. opinions, but it's been great to find people who are really trying to take action to improve. I found a lot of yeah. quote unquote practice leaders there that I can, you know, a lot of the people that comment on the comment stream of some of my stuff, if you look at their titles, they're actually people out leaving, which I love that. Yeah. That's like the best. So. Um, and then you too, if you follow Zach on LinkedIn, you too can get these nuggets of wisdom delivered <laughs> to you every single day um, or almost every day. And uh, and also, don't forget the book. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and it's an excellent companion to Josh's book. Oh, book yeah. Drive, which takes a lot of the same types the P, of the principles purpose, you're talking about. And, the P of purpose. Yes, uh, this is a good deep purpose. dive into that. Yes, area. exactly. And, um, and puts it in a veterinary context yeah. specifically too. So um, I just, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and you talk about this stuff all the time, but your passion is contagious, even through a phone screen. Uh -huh. So thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much for the work you do and coming on here. Thanks. And uh, thanks to all of you for watching and listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.